Good morning. I want to say a particular uh, word of welcome to those of you who are new here today. My name is Alex, I'm one of the pastors here. We're really just thrilled that you're joining us here for the first time. Uh, what we're all about here, if you're brand new, either in person or online, is connecting. Connecting people to God, connecting people to each other, so together we can engage our work for good. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. Uh, a quick reminder, uh, before we jump into what we're talking about today, is we're just coming off that Living Supernaturally series, and we're going to do kind of an open Q&A after this service and the next service. Uh, so if you want to talk more about the Holy Spirit or Living Supernaturally or anything else that was kind of raised in that whole series, a uh, uh, short Q&A after the first service will be in the kids' wing. We're going to give them about eight minutes to clear out, and then we'll be in that multi-purpose room there. Come and join me, hang out for a little bit, and we'll talk a little about Living Supernaturally and kind of the things we talked about last series. This is week two of our new series called Step Into the Story. You got a story. I got a story. Plenty of ups and downs and downs and ups and ups and downs and no guarantee of happily ever after, right? No guarantee of happily ever after. But for 2,000 years, people all over the world have found by bringing their story into the Jesus story, it's life-giving. It's the one story that redeems all stories with a guaranteed happily forever after. Throughout the whole course of this series, this will be an invitation over and over again to step into the Jesus story. Because when we step into Jesus' story, he has the power to both bring good out of the dark times in our lives, in our past, in our present. And he also has the wisdom to guide us into our future in a life that is life-giving to us and to other people. Today we're talking about the wilderness. You've had wilderness experiences, right? Not sure what's going on? Not sure where you're going? Not sure you're maybe you're in between things, between what was familiar and what's ahead, or maybe uh, dark days, hard days, maybe some days you would rather forget. Today we're talking about the wilderness seasons and, se and times in our lives, the times you would rather get through as quickly as possible and forget as quickly as possible. What do we do with the wilderness seasons? But more importantly, is there a way that the Jesus story might step into our lives if we step into his story to redeem even the wilderness? We're going to be in the passage today that's right after where we were last week. So quickly, if you weren't here last week, after 30 years in the carpenter shop, Jesus sort of emerges from obscurity, and he goes to his cousin John, who's got a big following. He's kind of a crazy religious guy out in the desert. He goes to get baptized by his cousin John, and John's like, whoa, 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 like, you're a bigger deal than I am. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, well, here's, here's, this is fitting. We need to do this. He says, to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, Jesus is stepping into the story of God, God's right-making work in a not-right world. There are all kinds of things in this world that just aren't right, right? All kinds of things in this world that just aren't right. And Jesus is saying, listen, even in the midst of all this not-rightness, God is building the righteousness story. He's writing a new story in the midst of the rubble, and I am doing this. I've come to fulfill the right-making story that God has been writing from almost the beginning of time. So he gets baptized by John, and as he comes out of the water, fireworks, all kinds of crazy things, right? The, the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. That's pretty fantastic. And then a voice sings out over him, this is my beloved son whom I love. Man, this is such a beautiful, spectacular experience. And for some of you, you would love this, right? We have all kinds of people here, all kinds of places spiritually. Some of you aren't sure you believe any of this. And man, you're like, man, if I heard God's voice booming out like James Earl Jones over me, 
I would totally buy it. I would totally believe. Right? For some of you, you would long to have this kind of experience. Others of you, a couple weeks ago, we had a, a prayer session in here where we invited people to receive more of the Spirit and get a fresh filling of the Spirit. Some of you had some really amazing experiences of the Spirit. Jesus had a more spectacular experience right, right here, right now, of this beautiful experience of God's love for him and the Spirit falling on him. And so the question now is, what's next? Right? Where, does he, where does he go from here? What happens after this, right? Because if you're going to be a religious God, maybe the, the, the next step is Jerusalem, right? That's where the, all the religious people are. It's kind of the religious epicenter of the whole world, according to the Bible. So maybe you go to Jerusalem, start teaching, build a following, right? Start doing the thing that teachers do. Or maybe you go form an army to drive out the hated Romans who are oppressing your people. That's what many people in the first century wanted the Messiah to do. Jesus was the great, 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 great grandson of great King David, who was a warrior king, and they wanted another warrior king to push back the Romans from the occupation and give them their land back again. What happens after this moment with Jesus? If Jesus really is the beloved Son of God and the Spirit of God really is upon him, what's the Spirit of God on him to do? Well, it doesn't send him to Jerusalem, which would have been the kind of religious route. It doesn't send him to go form an army, which would have been the political military route. Here's where the Spirit leads Jesus after the spectacular experience of his baptism in the desert. This is Matthew 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus, Jesus was led by the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was undoubtedly very hungry. Poll question, how many of you have a favorite song from your childhood or teenage years or earlier in life that brings back all kinds of great memories? Like, it's just a great song, you know, like, favorite, yeah, favorite songs. It's like, uh, any of you have a song that brings back horrible memories? Like, you hear it on the radio, you're like, turn it off, I don't want to hear it. Like, it's just like so many like, scars. Okay, so... The number 40 in the Bible, like in the Old Testament especially, is like the song you don't want to hear, okay? Like, and the number 40 in the Bible is always associated, especially in the Old Testament, with trials, testing, and temptation. It's really like a hard, you don't want your name anywhere near the number 40, okay, in the Old Testament. Of course, in, in the Old Testament story of Noah, it rains for 40 daisy-stasies, right? So it rains for 40 daisy-stasies of, of, and, and wipes out you know, everything. But here in this story, Jesus is going into the desert for 40 days, and it's reminiscent of the, the Exodus story. The Exodus story. Now, if you don't know the Exodus story, here's the Exodus story in a nutshell. The, uh, there's a family that's starving. They go to Egypt, and they get saved. And in Egypt, they grow and grow and grow, and they get to be so big that they get to be enslaved because the king gets anxious. This, this people is growing and growing. They grow into the Hebrew people. And they enslave them, they cry out to God, and God raises up Moses to deliver them from the Egyptians. They haven't been, they have not been a nation, they haven't been a government, they haven't been anything. They've just been like a big old family that kind of grew and grew and grew. And so in the Exodus, you get sort of the Israel origin story. The Israel origin story kind of culminates in this dramatic water event, right? The parting of the Red Sea, where that wipes out Pharaoh's armies while they flee to safety. And as the people of Israel escape the king of Egypt, and they, they're, they're headed to the land God promised them, and the Spirit's going to guide them, and God's going to lead them to this great promised land. And they, they cross through this wilderness area. And the wilderness area is big, but it ain't that big. And there's a couple hundred thousand of them, and they're kind of traipsing through, and it's going to take them a couple months. But they come up to the edge of the promised land, and when they get there, they freak out. Because the land's got people in it. And those people look like they're big and they're strong and they're giants. And so they say, we can't take the land. And so what happens is they then wander in the wilderness for 40 years due to their faithlessness. They wander until that whole generation dies off. 
And some of us read that story or know that story, maybe familiar with it, and you're like, man, they saw so much. God did so many things. I mean, dramatic water crossings and plagues and all kinds of crazy stuff. How come they didn't trust God there at the very end? But let me ask you a question. You ever been in the wilderness before? Ever been in that space between what was familiar, even if it was hard, and the new thing that hasn't quite arrived yet? Any of you ever doubted that God was going to come through for you in the wilderness? The people of Israel start with this story. This is the origin story. Dramatic water event. 40 years wandering in the wilderness due to their faithlessness. And God provides them bread from heaven. Every morning there's manna, bread from heaven, that he just gives to them. But that 40 years is them wandering in the wilderness due to their faithlessness. And the whole generation dies off. At the very beginning of Jesus' story, what do we have? The exact same experience. A dramatic water event. Followed by 40 in the wilderness. Right? And he's in the wilderness not because he's faithless, but because he is faithful. Jesus is the one who's intentionally entering into Israel's story to redeem Israel's story. Because here's what Israel was supposed to do. Israel was supposed to be this light to the nations. It's in, in the, the one who demonstrated God's goodness to the world. So the question is this. Can Jesus redeem the wilderness? Can Jesus redeem the wilderness? Will Jesus redeem the wilderness? Or will he fall to the same kind of temptations and challenges people of Israel struggled with all throughout the book of Exodus? Will Jesus redeem the wilderness? Will he be faithful in the wilderness? The thing that Israel struggled to do. Because Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. Israel is supposed to do. Here's what Israel is supposed to do. Israel's job was to build a life around God, around God's purposes, around the greatness of God. And they're going to build this beautiful, beautiful nation where widows and orphans are taken care of. Where the foreigner is welcomed and taken care of. Where God is worshipped in spirit and in truth. Like, the Israel is supposed to be a city on the hill, a light to the nations, and all the other nations would be like, we want to worship that God. We want to know those laws. We want to sort of follow that God. They were going to be the place that all the nations looked to that demonstrated God's glory and God's goodness. And they struggled over and over and over and over again. And the picture of that struggle is right there in the wilderness. And so what Jesus does is he steps in. He says, listen, I'm going to take up Israel's story. I'm going to step into the wilderness, the place of Israel's failure. I'm going to see if I can redeem it. I'm going to step into Israel's story, demonstrate the greatness of God, so that I might declare to all the nations that there's a God in heaven who is for them and with them. I'm going to demonstrate the greatness of God. I'm going to be a light to the nations. Through me, all nations are going to be blessed. Jesus is going into the wilderness to take up Israel's job, to be true Israel, to be a light to the nations, so that you and I, 2,000 years later, might know the grace and the goodness and the love of God. And part of the power of Jesus stepping into Israel's wilderness story to redeem Israel's story is if he can redeem Israel's wilderness experience, good news, my friends, he can redeem your wilderness experiences too. He's a redeemer. He's a savior. And he loves to step into even the darkest parts of our stories, the parts that you would rather race through and forget. He can step into those and bring redemption and hope even in the most difficult spaces. And so the invitation this morning as we're talking about stepping into the story is to step into the redeeming the wilderness story. That's the invitation today from Jesus. We've all had different wilderness experiences, right? Different experiences of wilderness. Days, weeks, months, years, even decades. Wandering, wondering what's going on, struggling. And you get into the wilderness any number of ways, right? All kinds of ways to end up in the wilderness. Sometimes it's other people's sin. Business partner sins against you. 
Someone you're married to has an affair. Something else happens in your life that you have no control over. Someone does something to you. Someone else's greed or someone else's sort of selfishness has consequences to you and kind of thrusts you into the wilderness. It's not your fault. You just ended up there. Sometimes it's no one specifically sinning against you. It's just circumstances, right? The market changes, your company downsizes. You have no control. You're just sort of, a, you're just sort of like the, kind of the damage of these other things happening that you have no control over and, that, and you end up in the wilderness figuring out, trying to figure out what's going on next. But sometimes we end up in the wilderness due to our own sin, don't we? Our own failures, our own mistakes. Sometimes not even sin, just things that we didn't do correctly or wisely or well, and then things kind of fall apart around us, and we end up wandering in circles for a while. My friends, this morning, if you're in the wilderness, you come to the right place. So glad you're here. Maybe you just got there. Maybe you've been there for days, weeks, months. Maybe you've been there for years trying to figure out what's going on, where do I go, what's next. Or if you just maybe are stepping out of a season in the wilderness and you can look in the rearview mirror and say, I did not make the best decisions in the wilderness. Wasn't I always doing the right things in the wilderness? My friends, here's the good news. Jesus steps into the wilderness story of Israel to redeem the wilderness for all. There is a God in heaven who loves you so much his son put on flesh to step into the wilderness so that the wilderness scars, pain, sadness, and even your mistakes do not have the last word over you as redemption does. So Jesus goes into the wilderness to redeem the wilderness story. He does this by going hand-to-hand with the tempter, with the devil, with Satan, the embodiment of all evil, the father of lies, all kinds of descriptions and titles of Satan and kind of who he is. We don't have time to talk about Satan for like the whole time, but if you want more questions about Satan, afterwards, Q&A, we'll have a discussion around living supernaturally and spiritual opposition as a part of that. So Jesus goes hand-to-hand with the tempter over a month before this, right? Jesus had just had this crazy baptism experience, 40 days plus or so, uh, where God declared that he was, uh, Jesus was his beloved son. So the tempter, Satan, goes right at what the, what, what the God of the universe had just declared over Jesus. Here's what Satan says, the first temptation. The tempter said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, Jesus had just had a spectacular experience with God where God had said, you're my beloved son. But you know what? That was 40 days ago. That was 120 missed meals ago. And those kinds of experiences get a little fuzzy, don't they? You can have a dramatic experience with God, a dramatic encounter with God, and you have a tremendous capacity to explain it away a couple weeks after, don't you? Just kind of say, well, maybe that was just emotionalism, or I just got caught up in the moment, or maybe that didn't really actually happen we have short spiritual memories we humans do maybe that wasn't real you know what's real after 40 days of fasting i'm hungry that's what's real right and so this first temptation comes and the first temptation is rather small and personal just take a stone and turn it into bread and take care of yourself right a nice french loaf doesn't sound good come on lovely no big deal right small personal Temptation. Back in the Exodus story of Israel, when they're wandering around the desert, God provided them bread from heaven, manna, every single morning. And you know what? Jesus is hungry in the wilderness. You know what Satan is saying? God's not taking care of you. You're not getting bread in the morning. Poor you. If you're really the son of God, he should be taking care of you. Maybe you're not the son of God. Maybe God's not going to come through for you. Maybe God has forgotten about you. And maybe, just maybe, you don't need to wait on God and rely on God. Maybe you just need to take care of yourself. Ever hear that voice before? God's not, God's not going to come through. 
God's forgotten you? See, to do this small thing, it's not a big deal, right? Just make some bread, not a big deal. Like, not hurting anybody. And then you start to justify it, right? Justify this, well, this is not that big of a deal, and it's not going to hurt anybody. And you start to kind of rationalize and justify, I need to do this to take care of me because God's not coming through for me, so maybe I need to take care of myself. I want to suggest to you that you are the most vulnerable to this kind of lie when you're in the wilderness, right? When you're in the space between jobs, between relationships, between in transition, where you're uncertain, where you're wandering, where you're struggling, I want to suggest to you that we hear that voice the most loudly, most profoundly when we are wandering in the wilderness. And my friends, if you're here in the wilderness, I want to surface that lie to you and say, you are not forgotten, you are not forgotten, you are not forgotten. Even in the wilderness, the God of the universe is with you and for you. Jesus is 40 days and 120 missed meals from his last major spiritual experience. He's hungry and he's vulnerable. Like, like that's part of what it means to be human. It's part of what it means that God put on flesh. He is genuinely temptable. He is genuinely vulnerable to temptation. But the other thing that fasting does besides make you hungry is it also makes you spiritually sharp. It clears out clutter. It helps you to be spiritually focused. It makes you stronger. And so Jesus, while he's physically weak, he's spiritually totally dialed in. And it's out of that strong spiritual place that Jesus responds to the temptation from the evil one. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. A number of years ago, I was in a really difficult spiritual space. I was doubting and struggling. I was just on a, a total sort of faith-free fall, and it was really, really challenging. And I had, a, I had a song, a worship song, that helped me to kind of walk day by day. I felt like I was just sort of, I felt like I was like trudging through tar trying to believe, right? And I just had this little song that kind of kept me going over and over again. And I talked about earlier about songs you can't hear without hearing that. Like I could not sing that worship song. Once I got through that difficult season, I could not sing that worship song for months. I mean, I seemed to kind of space and break because it brought back so much heartache, so much difficulty, so much anxiety, and so much fear. And what I wanted to do after that was all said and done, was put that in a box, put it on the shelf, and never think about it again, right? It was such an exhausting time, so it's such a difficult time. It was such a hard, difficult season, spiritually, personally. But sometimes, the seasons of your life you want to put on the shelf and never revisit ever again, sometimes that's the place where God wants to go to bring good out of the darkness and bring beauty out of ashes. As Jesus is intentionally stepping into Israel's story, as he's intentionally stepping into the wilderness to redeem Israel's story, he gets tempted by the evil one. And for this temptation, to respond to this temptation, he responds with a passage of scripture. The passage of scripture, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This, he quotes the Old Testament. You know what book he quotes from the Old Testament? He quotes the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. It's uh, the, the first five books are called the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy is the last book of the, of the Pentateuch. It's called the sports center of the Pentateuch. It just kind of recaps the first five books of the Bible. And the sports center of the Pentateuch is written by a guy named Moses and his companions. He probably writes this with some other people that are helping him write this book. And do you know where Moses is when he's writing the book of Deuteronomy? You know where he is? He's in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness. The very place that's the symbol of their faithlessness and their failure and their loss 
is the place where Moses writes Deuteronomy, which is what Jesus quotes, he pulls from their time in the wilderness to fend off the evil one because Jesus is Lord even over the wilderness and he can bring good out of any season of any life, including yours. He's gonna pull a thread from the darkest days of Israel's history to redeem Israel's history to bring something beautiful and good. First temptation, super small scale, no big deal. Make some bread. It's happening all over the world and God's not coming through for you. You provide for yourself. That's what you need to do because apparently God's not gonna do it for you. This doesn't work. So Satan goes to round two and as, as these rounds get bigger and bigger, the scales increase. The, the, the scope and size of it increases. And for this one, he takes another pass at Jesus' identity as the son of God. Here's the second temptation, verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you and they'll lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, if I didn't know this story, I would have think maybe the spirit would have led him to Jerusalem, right? Spirit, take Jesus to Jerusalem, start teaching, start preaching, start doing this crazy thing. But it's not the spirit that leads Jesus to Jerusalem, it's the devil that leads him to Jerusalem, to the highest point in the temple, the top of the temple, like an ancient kind of understanding of the world. Jesus is as close to God as you could possibly get. He's at the highest point of the temple. And he gets all religious on Jesus, doesn't he? He quotes some Psalms, like beloved Psalm, right? Listen, not everybody that quotes scripture is using it for the purposes the spirit intended the scriptures to be used for, okay? Little side. First temptation, first temptation, small, personal, private, right? Make some bread for yourself. Second temptation, put on a spectacular religious show. Temple, busy place, pilgrims from all over the world gather to worship. It's hustling, it's bustling. If Jesus jumps from the highest point of the temple, angels catch him, it goes viral on Instagram. Like it's, like it's all this crowd, all this show, all this spectacle, right? Put on a big religious show. But Jesus is still redeeming Israel's wilderness experience. And so here's how Jesus replies. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Where is this passage written? What passage is he quoting from? What book of the Bible? Deuteronomy. Who writes Deuteronomy? Moses and his friends. Where are Moses and his friends when he's writing Deuteronomy? In the very wilderness that Jesus has come to redeem. Jesus will not jump to serve Satan's purposes. He will not jump for Satan. But here's the thing. About three years from this moment, Jesus is gonna jump. Three years from now, Jesus is gonna jump. But it's not gonna be for a big religious show and a big religious crowd and to kind of put on this big religious spectacle to impress all these people who are passing by. You know where he's gonna jump onto? He's gonna jump onto a cross full of all the shame and all the heartache. And you know what? There aren't gonna be crowds. His friends and family are gonna run from him, all but a few. And then you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna jump into the abyss of death, trusting that God actually will catch him. And you know what? God catches him. And he lifts him up out of the grave. So he's king of kings and lord of lords. He will not jump for Satan. He will jump according to the wishes of his good father. He will not be the spectacular religious teacher who put on a big show. You know what he's going to be? He's going to be for all eternity the lamb who was slain. 
with nail-scarred hands into eternity for your life and my life, for your salvation and my salvation, to forgive us all of our sins. He will be the one who will suffer and die for us and our salvation. He is not putting on a big religious spectacle. He is the humble servant king who has come to reclaim all people for all time, that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but it doesn't come through a crazy religious spectacle. It comes through humble serving. Temptation one, super small scale, make a nice French loaf for you. Temptation number two, bigger scale, right? Jump from the temple heights and put on the show and watch what happens on the other end of it. So that's the, that's the scale getting bigger. For temptation number three, big scale, largest scale you could possibly get. Here's temptation three as Satan goes in, all the marbles in on last temptation. Here's, here's, the, other, here's the other temptation, the final one. It says this, again, the devil took him to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll just bow down and worship me. If you think back over your story, can you remember Fork of the Road moments? Can you identify some fork in the road moments? Like, hey, like at that point, right, I took that job or went that way and all these other things kind of followed as a result of that. Can you look back on these major fork in the road moments? For me, a, a major fork in the road moment was senior year of high school, right? I, I, I mysteriously, miraculously got into the University of North Carolina God, by God's grace. I, I met my wife there. I got involved in the campus ministry there that I worked for for 16 years out of college, right? And that's that got me here today many years later. But that was a major fork in the road. If I don't go to UNC, who knows what happens, right, after that. If I, have to, if I end up somewhere else, then all right, by God's grace. But it's a totally different fork, right, totally different direction. I want to propose to you that this, at the very outset of Jesus' ministry, he hasn't even done anything public yet, really, other than get baptized. This is a major fork in the road. All this will be yours. The devil takes him to the highest point, right? Highest point and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And Satan says, I will give you all of this. Just bow down and worship me. And here's what I want to propose to you. Jesus has come to buy back all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. This is what he came to do. This is what he came to do. Reclaim everything and Satan's gonna put it on a platter and say here it is all you got to do bow down and worship me and I want to propose to you it's his it is like we gave it to him we turned it over he's not the rightful owner he stole it he didn't create it he doesn't love it but it's his and he is willing to hand it over to Jesus if Jesus will just bow down and worship him, which is what Jesus came to do, to reclaim all the kingdoms and their splendor. I wanna to suggest to you the road forks here in a major way. Two ways to buy back all the kingdoms of the world, bow down and worship Satan or go to the cross. What would you choose? If the Son of God bows down to worship Satan, Satan knows he can afford to lose this battle to win the war because here's what worship does. Worship does this. Worship is given to who or whatever, gives authority to whoever or whatever we worship, right? Spiritual authority, earthly authority is given to whoever or whatever you worship. That's what happens in our lives when we bow down and worship something, right? So let me put this in earthly terms. You know people who worship money, right? Build the whole lives around money. What does worship of money do to human beings? It warps us. It twists us. Misspent worship around money completely distorts human beings. We give authority of our lives to whatever we worship, including money. If you worship people's approval, you long for people's approval, you bend your life around and shape your life around, you say stuff and don't say things, you completely contort and warp your life because you're worshiping people's approval. 
Whatever you worship, you give spiritual and earthly authority over to, whether that's money, your time, your independence, and not caring what anyone thinks about you, whether it's success and achievement or getting the good grades or whatever it is you worship, you give spiritual and earthly authority to. And so, my friends, after 40 days and 120 missed meals, Jesus has offered a shortcut to doing what he came to do, pain-free, but it has all kinds of consequences. Here, here, here's, my, here's my proposal of what happens if Jesus falls for this. If Jesus falls for this, I want to propose to you that he's a temporary king for the course of his life, right? For 40 years, there's the king of kings who is awesome, beloved, and then he dies. And there is no resurrection. And there is no salvation. And if Jesus bows here, temporary shortcut, the world and you and I remain unredeemed and trapped in an unredeemable story. That's the consequences if Jesus caves in here to the shortcut, the easy way to buy back all the nations of the world. But Jesus is true Israel, and he's come to be a light to the nations. He's come to redeem Israel's mistakes, to redeem your mistakes, even to redeem the wilderness and all that has gone wrong in it. And the way that he does it is by taking the path that God has laid out for him and he will not be the one who was king for a great 40 years. He wants to be king forevermore and the only way to do that path is through self-sacrifice and self-giving. So here's what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. One more quote of the scripture. What book of the Bible do you think this is from? Deuteronomy. Who wrote Deuteronomy? Moses and his friends. Where are Moses and his friends when they're writing the book of Deuteronomy? Still in the wilderness. And Jesus pulls three quotes from three passages from Deuteronomy to redeem the wilderness experience that, that he is up against as he goes head to head with Satan. And how hard is it for him to fight back Satan? Like, how, how, how hard is it for him to get rid of Satan? Easy. Go away. He's like swats at him, right? Go away, Satan. Like, no big deal. Listen, Jesus was in control the whole time of this whole experience, right? He submits to the spirit and willingly submits to the tempter and the temptation. By the way, in a few, uh, a few months or a year after this, Jesus is going to give one of the best prayers anyone ever prayed to his disciples. It's so great. Millions of people will pray this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. You know what line in there he's going to ask us to pray, invite us to pray. Lead us not to temptation. You know why? Because it stinks. So hard. So exhausting. He's been through it. He's like, yeah, pray that you don't get led into temptation. I went through it. It wasn't pleasant. Ask the Lord to deliver you from that if at all possible. But here's what Jesus has done. Jesus stepped into the wilderness story to redeem Israel's wilderness story, to redeem your wilderness stories too. And so the invitation this morning, wildly important take home, is to step into the redeeming the wilderness story. Jesus is victorious in the wilderness to redeem the wilderness for everyone. Stepping into the redeeming the wilderness story, that is to take your life, your story, all the hard places, all the difficult seasons, and all the good times too, all the hopes and dreams, can you bring those to the Lord and have him shape you and meet you in the midst of those spaces. Jesus is victorious in the wilderness to redeem the wilderness. Here's what stepping into that story looks like. First off, here's the good news. No story is unredeemable. Hey, my friends, 
Some of you think your story is unredeemable. Some of you think parts of your story are totally unredeemable. Good news. Jesus declares, sings out over you. I know your wilderness stories. I know you don't want to think about them. I know that you're afraid to talk about them. But no story is unredeemable. No part of your story is unredeemable. And one prayer you might pray. You don't need to go back to all that stuff. Maybe it was years ago. You don't need to go back to all that stuff. But maybe you need to pray, God, is there any thread of redemption you want to pull out of this? That will be for our good, my good, people around me good, and your glory. That's a great prayer to pray. God, I don't want to really go back to all that wilderness and think about it. But God, is there any thread that you could pull that might be good, that might be a blessing to someone else? Listen, every time I share about my own story of like struggling to believe and struggling with faith, every time I talk about my own faith journey and the, the challenging time I had many years ago, there's always people who say, thank you so much for being so honest. It's so helpful for me to hear that someone else struggled with their faith. I hate thinking about it. I hate talking about that time. This is such a hard season for me, but you know what? That's Jesus pulling a redemptive thread out of that thing and having me just share it with people and hope that God uses it in some way, shape, or form. God, is there a thread that you can pull that might redeem out of that wilderness story? A second way for you to enter into this is just this. If you're in the wilderness now, trust him. If you're in the wilderness now, trust him. Because there's all kinds of lies telling you God's forgotten about you. There's all kinds of lies whispering that God doesn't care about you, that you have to take care of yourself. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. You are never alone, never forgotten. The Lord is always, always, always with you. Trust him. And you are so uniquely temptable in the wilderness. So do not complicate a hard wilderness situation with a bad decision. Do not complicate a hard wilderness situation with a bad decision. The wilderness is always hard. Do not complicate life in the wilderness by making bad decisions, falling for temptations that are only going to be a temporary relief, but long term make your life so much more complicated and worse. Finally, last thing. Whatever we worship, we give authority to. I want to invite you to worship the King and the Redeemer. What's the best thing you can do in the wilderness? Worship. What's the best thing you can do in the wilderness? Worship. Best thing you can do in the wilderness? Worship the King who has the power to redeem all things. Isn't it great news that someone has the power to redeem our wilderness? Isn't that great? Isn't that great news? There's a God who's powerful enough to redeem your worst days. And you know what I worship? Stuff. How stupid is that? You know what I chase after? People's approval. How, what, how ridiculous is that? How foolish is that? There's a king who can redeem everything. I'm chasing after small fry things. And so Jesus invites you and me to build our lives around worship of the king. And if you're in the wilderness today, one of the best things you can do is find a way that expresses worship, concrete, tangible ways. That's going to look like prayer and singing for some of you. For some of you, it's going to be like, I'm going I'm I'm to rebuild my life and my day around the way of Jesus. Even though right now it feels hard and it feels far away and things are difficult, I'm going to build my life around worship of the true king who has the power to redeem anything. My friends, you got a wilderness story. I got wilderness stories. The invitation is to step into the Jesus story, the one who's got the power to redeem every season. May you find him to be faithful, even and especially in the wilderness. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for going into the wilderness for us and for our salvation. Thank you for bringing that rescue. Thank you for redeeming Israel's story and redeeming our stories. I pray for my friends who are here today who are in the wilderness, who feel that they are kind of wandering and lost and feel the heartache and the difficulty of that. Lord God, I pray that they might hear the good news that you have been into the wilderness and can redeem the wilderness. I pray that that might bring joy to their soul, might be a, a peaceful balm to their souls. 
Lord, for those of us who've got wilderness experiences in the rearview mirror, all of us have some of those, but some of them, Lord, they were years and years ago, but we don't ever want to think about that ever again. But Lord, is there a redemptive thread? Is there something that you would want to pull that could be beautiful, good, helpful, life-giving for us and for someone else and to be a part of your kingdom coming, your will being done? We're open to that. Lord Jesus, help us to see through the lies of the tempter like you did. You saw through the lies. You knew what was true. Help us to also see through the lies and know what's true. And then, Lord Jesus, would you gather us up into worship? Would you help us to worship the King, the Redeemer, the Savior, who has the power to redeem all our dark days, all our hardest days? Jesus, thank you that you know what it's like to be in the wilderness, and you overcame and were victorious in the wilderness. Would we follow you into victory over the wilderness? no matter where it leads us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.